Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. Good morning. Hey, if you're here for the first time, I'm Paul. Um, and you know, I, that little video that we got uh, is one of those videos that literally, when, you, when, when, when she says, um, Jesus is the reason for our hope, I, I, that is just true and true and true and becomes more true the older I get it. Um, I love that. I, I'm excited for that series. Um, and just uh, at the end of service, we're going to take a special offering for Convoy of Hope. Uh, we've got, uh, if you are looking for um, at, each, uh, at each exit where there's a, a giving box, there's a little envelope that looks like this. If you want to pick one of those up, if you didn't get one on the way in, uh, you put that offering in that envelope. Here's what I love about Convoy. Convoy is an organization. They are a Christian organization. They started um, because a gentleman um, named, uh, a gentleman, a friend of mine, Jim, and when I say friend, casual friend, right? Um, but Jim, uh, when he was a little boy, he was, he was an orphan kid. He never had anything. And the Lord just put it on his heart to help those in need. And now they help. Uh, they're in uh, over 100 countries in the world. Um, they do disaster relief. They feed 1.2 million children every day. And I am really excited that as a church that we are going to, uh, that we are going to um, partner with them. Now here's the other thing that I want you to know. That we don't just help organizations one time a year. This year, right to date, we have given $74,000 away as a church locally and internationally. And so as a church, one of our highest priorities has always been to be a church to our community, not simply a church in our community. I've always said I never want anybody to drive by the downtown Vineyard Church and say, what do those guys do? Oh, I didn't know there was a church there. Like, I want people to drive by this campus and this, this church and say, I love those guys. Even if they don't go to church here, I want them to drive by and say, I love those guys. Those guys help so many people. And so that's always been a, uh, that's always been a part of who we are. Today, I'm going to take us to the third talk in this series called Cultivate, this series that we've been doing. And today, I want to talk about cultivating a spirit of generosity. Now, now here's the important part. Um, Have you ever thought about how important it is to cultivate a spirit of generosity? Like, there's this piece that everybody, I would say, most people, come to this place where they think, I want to be generous, I want to have a generous spirit, but you don't just become generous. Generosity is something you cultivate. Jesus said a lot about it. The um, New Testament says a lot about it. It says things like this in Matthew 25, 40. It says, whatever you do for someone else, remember you've done that to me. There's this moment for Jesus where, where he's talking about um, those that are in prison and those that are, in poor, um, that are, that are poor, and he literally says that if, if you want to know what it feels like to serve Jesus, serve the poor. And he says, whatever you do for them, that's what you've done for me. He also says in Matthew uh, 22, 37 through 39, he says, he says uh, somebody asks him, what are the greatest commandments? What's the greatest commandment? If you look, took all of Scripture, now you have to remember that um, Jews had 631 commandments that they were supposed to keep every day. 
And you can just imagine that like the, the conversations that came out of that, that, that people are like, really, 631? That's, that's a daunting task. And you know that there was conversations around like, you know, we have like the top 100 country music hits and the top 50 music hits and the top 40, and then it always gets pared down to the top 10, and then, then somebody's like, yeah, but what's the best country music song? And, and you know that the Jews are like, okay, so like, I get that there's 631, but if I just had to do one of them well, which one would I do? And some Pharisee looks at Jesus and says, what's the number one thing that I should cultivate in my life? And Jesus says, oh, that's easy. There's really two. And, and we sum it up in a little different way in, in our culture today. You guys have heard it said, it's just love God and love people. Like those two things, just love God, love people. Love God, love people. Paul said it this way. He said, don't think of others as better than yourself in Philippians um, 2. And then he also says uh, to the church of Rome, he says, don't just pretend to love people. You should actually love people. Because sometimes pretending to love people is easier than loving people. Come on, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you don't have to lie in here. We can be honest. Thanksgiving's coming. You have family coming over this week. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And so the truth is that what we cultivate matters in our life. What we develop in our life, that matters. If you cultivate good habits, you're going to produce good fruit. If you cultivate bad habits, you're going to produce bad fruit. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6. He says, a good person produces the um, good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. <coughs> he says, what you say flows from what's in your heart. Like, that's just true. Whatever you put in your life is going to come out of your life. Whatever you put in your heart, that's what's going to come out of your heart. And I believe in our society... I believe that as our society becomes more and more and more divided, and I believe that our society becomes more and more and more abrasive, I believe that generosity and kindness will be more and more and more important. I just believe that. I actually believe, <coughs> I believe that generosity, love, and kindness is going to be the currency of the future. You want to know what the future holds? I believe that the currency of the future will be based upon love, kindness, and generosity. Um, from the first century to the year 313 AD, the normal expectations about Christians was that Christians were the best people in any society. Did you know that? For 313 years, the idea of Christians in a community and in a society was this really highly elevated group of people that had this unbelievable, strong, strong, strong um, reputation. And, and it wasn't in a, sno a snooty sort of way. It wasn't in a self-righteous sort of way. It wasn't in a religious sort of way. They literally, in a community for 313 years, from um, the first century to the uh, 313, that the reputation of Christians in community was that they were kinder people than normal people. They were more compassionate. They were more helpful. And they were more forgiving. 
Um, they simply had really good reputations. To be a Christian in a community meant that if somebody knew that you were a Christ follower, they knew that they could count on you for help. They knew that you'd take care of the sick. They knew that you'd feed the poor. <coughs> they knew that you cared about women and children in a time and in an age when society did not care about women and children. They knew that you'd be honest, that, that you could hang a, a fish outside of your business and people knew that that actually meant that you were going to be honest. It wasn't just an idea that they could come to you and you wouldn't cheat them. They knew that to be Christ-like meant that you would take care of the elderly. And their Christian behavior literally, physically matched their Christian teaching. For 313 years... Christians matched their lifestyle with their Christian teaching. Now, here's the, the question that arises. When you hear about that, you say, well, Paul, what happened? What happened in the year 313? Something super fascinating happened. And you would think that it would have been a great thing. But Constantine converts to Christianity. And as Constantine is the Roman emperor at the time, all of a sudden, he begins to see Christianity is something that he can impose upon others. Where for 313 years, the way that people became Christians were that Christians loved them better than they had ever been loved, and they wanted what Christians had. In 313, Constantine becomes a Christian. He's the Roman emperor, and pretty soon, he just goes from nation to nation to nation, and he, um, he overcomes nations, and he makes them become Christians. You see, the reason we're tackling this subject today is because I would say that in our current society, Christians don't necessarily have the same reputation that they had for 313 years. Would we all agree on that? We'd all agree on that, right? We're all in this room. I hope you've settled in your heart where you stand with Jesus. I hope that Christ is, is first in your life. I hope that you've placed him at, at the center of your life. In every area. But even in this room, we would say Christians do not have the same reputation that they had in the first century. Or in the second century. Or in the third century. And if we take this one step further, not only do Christians not have the same reputation, but oftentimes because of the reputation that Christians have, many people don't want to be one. Many people don't want to be around them. Uh, it, it, they, they say things like, if that's what Christianity looks like, then no thank you. If that's how Christians act, no thank you. If, if that's what it means to be a Christian, no thank you. And there's this thing that happens that that was never the way that the church was supposed to be. That was never the reputation the church was supposed to have. And so let me ask you this question. Let me ask you a series of questions. How do you cultivate a spirit of generosity? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how do you cultivate that? How does that become something that's so ingrained in you that it automatically comes out of you? How do you cultivate a spirit of generosity in a society that is now rude, in a society that is now full of anger? How do you cultivate kindness? How do you be kind to others in a in a society of intolerance? How do you break the power of selfishness in yourself? Like that's not just for others. 
I can tell you this, that as much as I, as Pastor Paul says, hey, I want to break the power of selfishness in me, I guarantee you that when we get done with church today, they're going to say, hey, where do you want to go to lunch? And I'm going to have an opinion. <laughs> and I'm going to think of me first. I'm going to be thinking, yeah, hamburgers, right? Tacos, right? But how do you break that? Where you think of you first, and you think of your needs, and you think of your wants, and you think of me, 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 I, 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 I. How do you break the power of selfishness? How do you cultivate generosity in such a way that you don't just become more kind? As Christians, we want to become more like Jesus. There's a super fascinating passage. It's in Acts chapter 2, and I want to explain to you why it's so fascinating before I read it. It's going to be Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, before Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 47, you need to understand there wasn't a church. Like, we have grown up with a society that has had church. Like, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't grow up in church, maybe you started going to church as an adult, but our society has had church. It's had church since the first century. But in Acts chapter 2, you're literally reading about the first people who gather together and say, we want to be known as a church. We, we want to we come together in the name of Jesus. We want to worship together. We want to gather together. We want to have food together. We want to we break bread together. We want to be for one another. Now, all the way before that, that wasn't true. That didn't happen in society. They had synagogues that you were a part of, but those weren't, those were something that you went to because you were supposed to. In Acts chapter 1, we read about the very first church. And they got together because they wanted to. They got together because they liked each other. Like they got together because. They wanted to be more like Jesus, and gathering together made them more like Jesus. You see, I think that sometimes that when we read Acts chapter 2, we read it like it has always been. And at this time, in this moment, it's maybe a year old. They've been gathering for maybe six months to a year, to, to some, something like that, and it exploded because they began to be kind to one another. So here's how it reads. It says, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy. Do you realize that just now we've uh, talked about getting together for food three times? Did you, did you pick up on that? Like, they're eating food together all the time. And all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see, I think that there's literally four things that I want to pass on today. I think there's four reasons why this passage is so important. The first is this. 
that when we talk about generosity, generosity is how we're supposed to respond to God's faithfulness in our lives. Like, I, I, can't, I can't imagine anything worse than God being faithful to people and people being selfish. Those two things should ne- never go together. That generosity is the response to faithfulness in our lives. Just real quick. Just real quick, okay? I'm, I'm going to ask a question, and when I ask a question, a whole bunch of hands are going to go up. And if your hand doesn't go up, it's going to get awkward. Just so we know, I'm just giving you a little prep. I'm giving you a little prep. Has God been faithful to you? If so, raise your hand. Right, everyone, right? Like I would think that almost everyone would say, God has been faithful to me in my life. In good times and even in bad times, that I can look up and I can see God's faithfulness in my life. Generosity has always been the sign, has always been the sign of Christians who are thankful for God's faithfulness. It's always been the sign. Generosity is why we rake our neighbor's lawns during the fall, right? Generosity is why you are at dinner and all of a sudden you look over and God puts somebody on your heart and you say, hey, don't tell them, but bring me their check. Have you ever done that? I love that. And I love it when it happens to me, if I'm honest. (laughs) If I'm honest, I love it when it happens to me. You know, we live in such a kind, generous community. I can tell you probably five, six times a year, Lanann, I'll be out to dinner, and we'll just be just ordering our, just whatever. And then pretty soon we're like, hey, we need our check. We got to go. And says, I'm sorry, somebody took care of it. They, they left. They didn't want me to tell you who it was. Now, here's the great part, is generally when we walk into a restaurant, I can tell you who it was. And so pretty soon I text like, hey, man, thank you so much. But I love actually doing that to others. Whether they know me or they don't know me, but that piece of generosity. I love that when we give money to organizations um, over Christmas, can I tell you a little secret? We're going to, at the Christmas Eve service, we're going to give a, a good sum of money to the center. So when you come to that service, just know that it's not a special offering. We've already set that money aside, but there's an organization in town called The Center, and The Center cares for children who have been abused. And when I first started doing ministry, they would get about a kid or two kids a week. They're currently getting two kids a day that come in that have been abused. And so we talked about it as a team, and we put it out to some questions, but come December 24th at our Christmas Eve service, we're going to bless that organization. And we're going to say, let us help you take care of kids. You see, I believe that if you want to break the power of selfishness, you start cultivating the power of generosity. If you want to break the power of selfishness, you start giving to others and serving others. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, he says, give as freely as you have received. The key to giving is to give as freely as you have received. And the the answer on that is, you're like, well, I didn't receive anything. No, no, you received the grace and mercy of God. You received the grace and mercy of God. And because you've received the grace and mercy of God freely, you did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. And you and I constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, God bestows his mercy and his grace upon our lives and give others grace and mercy and kindness 
as, as, as you have been given freely, you, give as freely as you've received. That took a tongue twister, wasn't that? I sounded like I was stuttering. When you've experienced God's generosity, you can't help but be generous to others. When you have experienced God's generosity, you can't help but be generous to others. You see, I love that. Paul um, says in Acts 20, 35, it is better to give than receive. You know what's interesting? This week I was doing some studying around that topic. It's better to give than receive. And I thought, I wonder if our society, like, I would think that the average person in our society, outside of Christians, I would think the average person in our society would rather receive than give. Did you know that that's not true? According to a New York Post poll uh, in 2019, 74% of all people said that they would rather give gifts than receive gifts. That giving is a way that God has wired us to, to be kind to others. That generosity, I believe, is the currency of love. I believe that God's extravagance towards us compels us to be extravagant towards others. That's an old Andy Stanley quote. God's extravagance towards us will compel us to be extravagant towards others. And I believe that in this season, this season that is, as we go into Thanksgiving this um, Thursday, that the greatest thing that you can offer your family and your friends who come to your home is a generous spirit. Here's the second thing that I believe. I believe that generosity is a sign of a person who is being transformed by God. You want to look at your life and wonder if you're making any strides at all towards your faith? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought like, man, I blew it this week, and man, I, it just doesn't feel like I'm, I make any, any headway in my relationship with Jesus? See if God is transforming your heart. Generosity is a litmus test of God's transformational work in a person's heart. That a person that used to be selfish now willingly gives things to others and cares for others. A person who used to not think about others at all now goes out of their way to show kindness to others. A generous spirit is a sign of a person who is being transformed by God. You see, you cannot encounter God and remain selfish. The two don't go together. That you cannot encounter the mercy and kindness of God and remain in your selfish ways. There's a passage that uh, David wrote. He wrote this in Psalms 37, 25. He says, once I was young and now I'm old. I'm amazed at how fast life goes. Once I was young and now I'm old. And yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. God supplies the needs of his children. God is merciful and he's kind. In the New Testament, there's these two stories I want to really quick hit this, uh, this morning. There's these two stories. One is a man of Zacchaeus. Do you, do you remember who Zacchaeus was? 
Zacchaeus, it says, was a short little man who couldn't see Jesus coming, that Jesus was on his way and he was coming. The, the story is found in Luke chapter 19. And Zacchaeus could not see. He was a tax collector and he had stolen lots and lots of money from people. And all of a sudden he climbs his tree and as he gets to the top of the tree, he looks down and he's encountering Jesus is standing right there. And as he gets to the top of the tree, he's trying to see Jesus. And Jesus comes along and looks up and he says, hey, Zach, hey, let's go to your house and have lunch. I just think Jesus knew the best houses to go to for lunch. <laughs> you know, here's this really wealthy guy, a lot of money. He's probably got a great spread. Hey, Zach, let's go to your house. Let's have lunch. It says that Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, that simple encounter, caused Zacchaeus to repent. He gave his life to Christ. He said, Lord, I will give back everything I've stolen, and then I will give an additional 50% to the poor. His generosity came out when he encountered God. Interesting story. Right before, um, um, right before that story is Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is also very wealthy. He's a, a rich, rich guy, a young guy, and he comes to Jesus, and he also wants to encounter God. He also wants to encounter Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, what would it take for me to be a disciple? And Jesus looks at him and says, get rid of um, your wealth. Your wealth is the thing that's keeping you from me. And it says that he went away downcast, is how Scripture says it. And really what it means is he went away saddened because he knew that he could not give away his wealth. And there is this moment of discipleship between uh, Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. And the difference was that um, both of these guys wanted to be followers of Jesus. And the only thing that was keeping um, the rich young ruler from following Jesus is he couldn't get rid of his wealth. And Zacchaeus couldn't get rid of his wealth fast enough. He said, Lord, I'll do anything to follow you. You see, you cannot encounter God and remain selfish. I'm convinced that when you encounter God, without him, when you encounter God, He will begin to transform your heart and your life in such a way that you'll look up, and one of the signs of your transformation will be that God has moved you from a, just a little bit kinder, just a little bit more generous, just a little bit more forgiving, maybe a, a lot more forgiving. Jim Elliot said, "He is no fool." who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here's the last two. Last two, and then I want to um, we'll bring out the worship team. It's this. Generosity is how we participate in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Like, generosity is how we participate in the kingdom of God. It's not just a sign of transformation. It's how we participate in the kingdom of God. Remember that passage, Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Give as freely as you have received. It's, it's how you participate in the kingdom of God, that we are giving, kind, generous people. Seven years ago, I was in Guatemala, and I was in the second largest shanty in all of the Americas. So Central America, South America, North America. In Guatemala, there's this, this group of shanties that, that, that runs 18 miles long. As far as you can see with your eyes, it's just cardboard box on top of one other cardboard box, connected to another cardboard box, connected to another cardboard box. And we were in this particular uh, village, and we were going door to door, and we were giving away boxes of food. 
And I knocked on this door, um, and, and the, the, the man comes, and he opens up the door, and both of his eyes are fully uh, cataracts. He's blind. He has two teenagers' sons, a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old. His wife has just passed away the month before. She was the main provider for the family. She ironed um, clothes for a rich man who lived in town. They did not know where their next meal was coming from. And so when we brought in those two boxes of food, they were unbelievably blown away by our kindness. He showed me around his little home. He had, he had mattresses laying on the dirt floor of his shanty. He had three rooms. And as we left, I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes, I would love for you to pray for us. I was using an interpreter. And when we were done, we go to leave, and he goes, wait, you brought me a gift. I want to bring you, a, I want to give you a gift. And he reaches up off of his shelf, and he pulls off a fishing lure. He says, this is the, fish, this is the only fishing lure I have. It's the lure I use to catch the fish out of the lake, but there's no more fish in the lake, and I have no more sight to see. He said, I would like for you to have it. Now, you got to know in that moment, I, was, I did not want, I was like, no, I can't take that. I can't take that. Like, I can't take that. And the interpreter looks over at me and says, Paul, you have to take it. It would be rude not to. He has offered you something that's more valuable to him than anything he has in his home. And so I took it with gladness. I, I still have it. But there's this moment that I want you to catch. That generosity is how we participate in the kingdom of God. That we literally, what we do in the kingdom of God is that we do this thing. You see, the average person, when, when they think they're losing their stuff, they grab it harder and harder and they tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. But in the kingdom of God, what we do is we just go, we just open our hands. Right now, just put your hands out real quick. And I want you to make a fist. And then just as, as tight as you can, hold, just hold it as tight as you can. Like, this is how the average person goes through life. Just holding on to everything they got. Holding on. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. I don't share it. Now, just, now, all of a sudden, I want you to open your hands. Did you feel the release in your fingers and your hands? You see, when you open up your hands to God, you now let him become your resource. You are not your source. He's your source. And our resources are supposed to flow through our hands, not be held onto by our hands. You don't have to have a lot to give a lot. You can give of your time. You can volunteer. You can make meals. My family's in a particular season, and I cannot tell you how comforting it has been for all the meals that we have received. It has been overwhelmingly kind. And in the middle of that season, here's the great part about when people make you meals. They make you their best. <laughs> they, never, they never come over and say, oh, my husband hates this. I made it this tonight for dinner, and he was like, no, I hate that. Go take that to the Watsons. <laughs> people always bring you the, the best, the kindest. And it is overwhelming when you're on the receiving end of it. Generosity is how we participate in the kingdom of God. You know, I, I think about, um, we have a lady in our church who lives on an incredibly fixed income. And this is, always fascinates me. And I'll never share who she is. She lives on a fixed income. It's a very, very small income, less than $1,000 a month. She always ends up in our top 10 givers of the year 
as a church. And, and it always breaks my heart. It always, it always affects me in the deepest way. And it's not that she gives the most. She just gives consistently. Like generosity out of her generosity spirit. And, and guess what? The other side of that is God always provides for her. I'm always just amazed at how God provides for this woman. And I just, you just look up and you see the way that God moves in the kingdom of, of God is that, that when we literally just have open hands, how the Lord provides. And so here's the last thing. Generosity is how we break the power of selfishness. Generosity is how we break the power of selfishness. Generosity breaks the power of greed and envy and arrogance. And it increases love, mercy, and kindness. 2 Corinthians 9.6. I'm going to close with this. I'll ask our worship team to come back up. It says, remember, there's a farmer who plants only a few seeds. He'll only get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't be reluctant in your response or feel pressure. For God loves a person who is a cheerful giver. And God will generously provide for all who are in need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty of leftover to share with others. Now, I want to pause for a second, okay? Because even as I read that passage in um, uh, 2 Corinthians, um, here, here's what I also want to say. I never want you to come to church and feel manipulation when it comes to giving. Like, if you ever come to the downtown Vineyard Church and you feel like you're being manipulated into giving, put it back in your pocket. That's not how generosity works. Generosity never works from manipulation. But it is my job as a pastor to teach the principles of generosity. It is my job as a pastor to say, you understand how this works, right? Like, as we open up our hearts and our lives towards Christ, and we say, hey, it's all yours anyway, the Lord that I would love to be transformed into an image that looks like you. I would love to have faith that, Lord, you're my provider, not my boss, not even my own skills. And that I would love to be a person who lives with open hands. We're going to take an offering, and the offering that we're going to take, we have our tithes and giving that goes in our white envelopes, and then we have our offering that goes to one day to feed the world. And I don't want you to give either one if you feel manipulated. But if it's something that the Lord's stirring in your heart, if it's something that the Lord's stirring in your heart, going, this is how Christians live. This is who Christians are. Then participate. And as you participate, you, as you participate and you put that envelope in the black boxes that um, say giving and tithing on them, don't just put it in there. Put it in there and throw a prayer on it. Hey, Lord, I ask that you would use this money for your kingdom. I ask that you'd use this money to feed children. I ask that you'd use this money to care for the poor. Lord, I ask that you'd use this money to care for the downtown Vineyard Church and the ministry that we're doing in this city. That consistency, yes, but with a generous heart, 
and with a heart that says, Lord, and as I am generous in my spirit of giving, Lord, would you do what you need to do in me? Would you break the power where I have selfishness attached to it? Would you break the power where I have scarcity attached to it? Would you break the power that controls my, my thoughts of, about having more? I don't think that people should, like, not be wise in their money. But simple question. Whose kingdom comes first? Yours or his? It's a really simple question. I, I was talking to our staff this week. Um, and it was just, we were talking about this casually. It wasn't even in this message. You see, when you tithe on the front of your money, you receive and you have a, a, your dollars and you say, I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to give this to the kingdom of God. It's actually what it really is doing. It's really an act of faith that God blessed me and I'm going to respond in faith. When I tithe on the backside of my money, right? I look at my account and I've spent all of it for the month or for the week or the whatever. And I said, okay, I've got to give this out on the backside. This is actually more about you because you're giving what's out of the, your leftover. Does that make sense? The front's always about him. At the very beginning, I, I, Lord, this is yours. So the reason the Lord asks us to tithe in the beginning, even though this isn't a tithing message, is because tithing is how we keep God first and center of our life. When we give on the backside, it's really how we keep God in our life. Like, right, hey God, here's a couple bones. Does that make sense? It's a priority issue is all it is. And, and, and both of them are, have God in their life, but there's this peace where we go, okay, Lord, you're the priority in my life. And so today, we're going to do one last song. If you have set some money aside to give to the One Day to Feed the World campaign, I'm going to ask that you'd get out of your aisle during this last song, put it in the box, and, uh, and you can take communion, you can t uh, do prayer, but this is going to just be a, like, all right, Lord, church, this is what we're doing, all right? So, Lord, we're going to come before you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you transform our hearts as we act out of generosity, God? Lord, we ask that you'd care for the poor with this money that we're raising today. That you'd take care of those who have needs. And, Lord, that in that you'd also work on um, the areas that the enemy have just established selfishness in our heart. That we'd see others as important, as more important than us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I love our church. Um, I always, I don't know if you can, if you notice, I get real nervous when we kind of come to these moments. <laughs> and the reason, the reason is, if I'm just really honest, I never want our church to feel manipulated I, I, I think I've grown up in church so long that you watch churches do this thing around manipulation, you know. Like a good pastor can move a good story. And the last thing I would ever want our church to ever feel is manipulated, especially in the area of dollars, right? I think dollars have, carry a lot of guilt with them, you know, that there's a, there's a lot of guilt that goes, can go there. And it's really easy to get there. And I don't think, I don't, I'll tell you what, um, the thing I love about Jesus in my life is that nowhere along the journey have I ever felt manipulated by him. 
to repent for sin or to, he always just kind of takes these areas in my life and says, hey, Paul Watson, why don't you pay attention to that? You know, what I want for you is better than what's going on in your life. And when, when, when Scripture talks to us about generosity and about giving, it's because that when we move into that and trust God in that area, that all of a sudden God shows up in a way in our life that we would have never have even imagined he would have or could have. So, anyway, let me pray for us. If you'd like prayer after service, we've got a, our um, ministry team will be sticking around. and It could be on anything. And it could be on, Lord, that you'd break the power of selfishness in my life. Lord, that you'd take my eyes off of me and help me to see others in a new way. But it could be on anything. It could be on marriage. It could be on family and friends who are coming into town this week. And that causes anxiety. You know? But, Lord, we just know that you're good to us. You're kind to us. Lord, we can never outgive you. And Lord, we will never, ever, ever get over your good, good gift to us. Your life, your death, and your resurrection. You are our hope. And you are the Prince of Peace. And you are the good, good Father. And so, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for your kindness and your mercies on our life. And may we be known for those kindness and mercies to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessings. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.